If you're not already there, you can be turning in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And I'm going to begin reading in the beginning of chapter 6, verse 1. Because as you already saw, Ray read through the first section that we're going to be looking at. He read through chapter 5, verses 8 to 20. So now look with me at chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Continuing this section. Hear the word of the Lord. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, It has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool, and what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wondering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Father, we come before you as this section of Ecclesiastes is open before us. We ask that you would would come, that you would draw near now in this moment, that you would fill us with your Spirit that You would help me to proclaim Your Word, to to preach it clearly in a way that is understandable. And may You be with those who are listening. May You give them eyes to see. May You give them ears to hear. And give them hearts to accept these things with joy. May they see it as Your Word, Father. These words come to us from Your mouth. These are Your words. May You put them on display this morning. May You receive the glory from all that is said. May You help me to not go astray. May I not say anything more, anything less than what Your Word has for us to see and to learn from here. And it's in Christ's name we ask and pray these things. Amen. As we begin to go through this section this morning, I want to start off by leading us through the structure of how all of these passages fit together because it's a very intimidating section of Scripture. It's very dark. There are dark things said here, as you probably noticed as Ray was reading and as I was reading a moment ago. It's intimidating, it's large, and there are dark things sprinkled throughout. So let's see what the structure is, let's see how all of these fit together, and Lord willing, in light of that, you'll be able to see the flow of this passage and be able to understand it, embrace it, and see the joy that 
springs from it. So if you would look down with me to chapter 6, verse 7. In chapter 6, verses 7 to 9, here we have a summary. This is the preacher's summary of what he is about to show us in this whole section of Scripture. From chapter 5, verse 8, all the way down to chapter 6, verse 6. He's going to be showing us what is in this summary. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to begin with this summary that he has, and then we're going to jump back over to chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, and there we are going to see three examples. We're going to see examples of what he's talking about in the summary. And then we're going to move over to chapter 6, And at the beginning of chapter 6, in verses 1 to 2, we're going to see yet again another example that proves the summary that he gives. And then, centered in all of these passages, right in the middle, is chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, which is the solution. That's where we want to be at. That's what what we want to look like. So that's, that's the organization that we're going to be following. And I know it's kind of here, there, jump back and forth, but Lord willing, that little summary will help you to follow along well. So first, let's begin with the summary that the preacher gives. He says, All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. That is what we are going to see in this section of Scripture, in this section of Ecclesiastes. Now, if you remember, as we've been going through this book, the preacher has been showing us these observations that he's made under the sun, speaking of our broken and sinful world. And so yet again, we have one of these observations. And the observation is that all the toil of man is for his mouth. Yet his appetite or his his soul is not satisfied. He consumes, he consumes, he consumes, but yet he's never satisfied. That is what the preacher wants us to see. And then in verse 8, as he has been doing, he puts everybody on level ground. It doesn't matter if you're a wise man, if you're a foolish man, or if you're a poor man. If you live like this, you have no gain for all your toil. You will all die the same. The wise, the fool, even the poor man who knows how to conduct himself among the living, they all share the same death. And if they live like that, then they will not gain anything in their toil. They'll be like a man striving after the wind. And then in verse 9, He summarizes what the solution looks like that we're going to see in verses 18 to 20. He says, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. And so he's saying, it's better to see what you have with your eyes, to see, to behold it, to see it as the gift of God, as it is, than to have this wandering appetite that just consumes and consumes and consumes, but yet is never satisfied. So that's what we're going to see flowing throughout this whole section. So now let's jump over to chapter 5. 
Chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. This is the first example. This is the first man that we are about to be introduced to. The first man who proves the point that the preacher lays out in the summary. And he says, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of, of justice and righteousness, stop there. So this man, or the high official that he calls him later on in the passage, has been given the gift of honor or authority. God has put him in a place of authority to rule over. This is a gift. And it's the same today. Our high officials in our land, they are there because God has put them there. That is His gift to them. Now many of them, like this man, they abuse it. They do not treat it rightly. He's not satisfied with the power or the authority He's been given. And so He oppresses those who are beneath Him so He can have more. That wandering appetite that we were talking about a moment ago. He wants more. He's not satisfied with the position he has already. He wants to climb up the ladder, so to speak. The only way you climb up the ladder is if you step on the one who's beneath you. And that's what he's doing. But the preacher says, Do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. And this is similar to what we saw at the end of chapter 3 when he was talking about the oppression and the place of justice and of righteousness. You remember he's talking about how God is going to judge all of them. And this is the pattern that he's showing us here. Even if the whole system of government is corrupt, you may be thinking, well, what if the high official that's over this high official is just as corrupt? What if he's doing the same thing that this guy's doing? And it's all the way up the ladder. Well, don't worry, because God is at the top. And He will judge everyone beneath Him in the end. So do not be amazed at the matter. The judgment is coming. God will bring justice to the poor. He will bring justice to the ones who are being oppressed. And then we come to verse 9. And what the ESV says is, but this is gained for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Now, if you are reading from the NIV translation, you read this. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. So in the NIV, that's what you read. That's what your translation says. And the reason why these translations are different is because the Hebrew terminology in that verse, is very obscure. And so translators take two opinions on it. The ESV translators take a positive approach. They put the king as the solution to the problem. But the NIV take the negative approach, meaning that the king is a part of the problem. Now, I tend to go with what the ESV translation says, but if you disagree with what my interpretation is, that's fine. So what I tend to think that is being said here is that the preacher is like he's been doing throughout the book. He gives this oppression, he gives the the negative picture, and then he puts the, the positive picture right after it. You know, he's been doing this compare and contrast that we've been seeing in the wisdom literature. 
So I think that's what's going on. But either way, no matter how you look at it, the point is, is that he's showing a high official the gift that he's been given and how he's abusing it and how he's not satisfied. He craves for more. That's the first man. The second example or the second man that we are shown is in verses 10 to 12. And this man has been given the gift of wealth. He's been given the gift of money. But look at what the preacher says. He says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. So this man was given the gift of wealth, of possessions. And and again, it's the same for you. It's the same for us. If you've been given wealth, if you've been given possessions, God is the one who has given them to you. He is the ultimate provider. It all comes from His hand. But this man worships the gift that he has been given. He sees the gift, he sees his possessions, he sees his wealth, and he again has this wandering appetite, and he craves more. And in his craving, he actually forms his wealth into an idol that he actually bows down and worships. He forgets totally from where the gift came from in the first place. For him, the gift stops at wealth. That's all he wants. That's all he cares about. He worships the gift in his craving, in his wandering of appetite. And by the way, as we go through these examples, these are all of your hearts. This is my heart being put on display. We are no better than any of these men. We are all just as corrupt. How often, even if it's not in the exact same way of these examples that we see, how often have you been given the chance to have some type of authority and you have the temptation or fall into the temptation of taking that authority and lording it over others, using that opportunity, that gift that you've been giving to make much of yourself and make little of those whom you're supposed to be serving. And the same with this man. How often do we take the gifts that God has given us, whether they be wealth, possessions, or whatever, and worship those gifts instead of the one who gave them? These are all of our hearts. Continuing in verse 11, the preacher says though, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what he means by that is whenever possessions, whenever wealth increases, the people who want to devour them increase as well. And it's it's kind of forming a picture like if someone was to win the lottery, if you were to win the lottery. Well, people you haven't seen or heard from in 20 years are going to come crawling at your door saying, how you been doing, you know, buddy old pal that I haven't seen in a long time? By the way, I need, I need some money. <laughs> that's, what, that's the picture he's painting here. And he's showing, you know, what's the use of having all of that wealth? You're going to acquire and acquire and acquire just so somebody else can come along and devour it from you. The same appetite that you have, they have as well. 
So when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? At the end of all of those things, the only advantage he's has, he's had is that he got to look at them with his eyes. And then they disappeared. Just like that. You know, the, the few days of life that we have here on this earth. But the language that the preacher uses. Then he goes on again to compare in verse 12 with what this man should have been like. He says, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So the laborer, the person who labors for what he has, whether it be little or much, is satisfied with it. And his sleep, his rest, is sweet, as the preacher says. But the sleep, the rest of the rich man, the one who has this wandering appetite, he actually gains no rest whatsoever because all he does is worry and think about the riches that he craves about, that his appetite constantly seeks after. You see the picture that he's putting together here. That's the second example. That's the second man who received gifts from God but yet did not enjoy them properly. The third man, verses 13 to 17, the preacher says, again, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. So this man was also given great riches, great wealth or great possessions, but he hoards them. He doesn't enjoy them at all. He hoards them. He, he's the type of man who says to himself, I'll be happy when I have just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. If I get, you know, another $100, $1,000, $5,000, whatever the number is, if I get just that little bit more, then I'll be happy. One of the commentators that I was reading, studying for this passage, he told about, I can't remember what his full name is, but it's Rockefeller, one of the richest men of our, in the world, really. Bukus upon, upon bukus of money. And his famous quote, he was asked, when will you be happy? He said, when I get a little bit more. A man who had unimaginable wealth. And he says, if I get a little bit more, it's what this man is like. If I get just a little bit more. But the preacher says that all in the midst of all of this talk of just a little bit more, he actually loses everything in a bad venture. Whatever that means. He could have sent it off in a ship for some type of business transaction or whatever, and the ship could have went down. That was common in the Old Testament time period or the biblical time period. People would load their, their wealth, their riches on these ships, and it would be carried to wherever they wanted it to go. Well, this man's ship got the bad end of the deal, and he lost everything. And worst of all, continuing in verse 14, he did not provide for the family that he had. 
the very reason why he was given his wealth in the first place, all of his possessions, God gave him those things to enjoy and to provide for the family that he had been given. But yet he hoarded them. And as the preacher says, he was the father of a son. And yet he has nothing in his hand. He has no way to provide for his family. In the midst of all of his worshiping his money, because this man worshipped money too, even though it was in a different way, in the midst of all of his worshiping and a wandering of appetite, he failed to provide for his family. He left them high and dry for the pursuit of his idol, his lower G God. And the preacher continues, he says, As he came from his mother's womb, so shall he go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. He will leave this life with nothing. He will leave it with nothing. As the preacher says, naked as he came, naked he will go. And that's every single one of us. You came into this world in your birthday suit, as we like to say. And you'll go out the same. You know, you'll have nothing. Nothing to show. You know, everything you've acquired in this life, you can't take it with you. Even if they put it in your casket. It's going to do you no good. You will not be able to enjoy them. And so if you've spent your life worshiping those things, then your life looks like this man's life, as the preacher describes him. He's toiled for the wind. And not only is his death a sad story, but his whole life is. He says all his days he eats in darkness. And that doesn't just mean like physically eating food. The preacher's talking about all of his consuming that he did. His consuming of of riches, all of his toil that he did. It was all done in darkness. Now I want you to picture that in my in your mind. This man's life is defined by living it in darkness. Darkness dwelt over this man's life. And also vexation and sickness and anger. This is the preacher using this language, this poetry to create a picture in our minds to see just how dark and just how sad this type of living really is. Darkness, vexation, sickness, and anger. That's the third man. That's the third example. Now let's jump down to chapter 6. Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. This is the, the final example or the final man that the preacher introduces us to. He says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. So this man was given everything. He had it all. He had everything that the 
previous three men had and more. And because he had everything that they had in more, the description that we're about to see of this man is true of all of them and everybody who lives likewise. So this man had everything. He had wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. And God gave them to him. The preacher says God gave him those things. He gave them all the gifts that they had. Every single one of these men. Gifts from God. Meant to be enjoyed properly. And then he says something interesting in the second part of verse 2. He says, Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. Now what does that mean? What does it mean that God didn't give him power to enjoy them? Now I have wrestled with this verse all week. This is a hard verse to interpret and to understand what he means. And what I think the preacher is saying here is that this man constantly thought to himself, I will enjoy my stuff tomorrow. He acquired, he acquired, he acquired, he never enjoyed because he thought to himself, I have tomorrow. I have tomorrow as an opportunity to enjoy what I have built up for myself. You know, all these gifts that God was giving him, he just stores them up, stores them up, but he never really enjoys them. Kind of like the man who hoards his wealth. And the reason why I say that, that he was thinking in that way, is because the word that he uses, power, also means dominion. God didn't give him dominion. He didn't give him the dominion to enjoy these things. And dominion just means to have like dominion over something, like Adam and Eve in the beginning when God put them in the garden. He gave them dominion over the earth and all things, to work the ground, to have dominion over them. God gave them the ability or the opportunity to do those things. But here, God doesn't do that. He doesn't give the opportunity. He doesn't give the ability. He doesn't give the dominion that this man was thinking that he was going to have. So he's showing that what God gives you today, He expects you to enjoy today. Because the opportunity or the dominion that you think you're going to have tomorrow is not promised. And so if you don't enjoy God's gifts today, what you've been given today, what you've been given dominion over today, then you're actually being disobedient. And this is where the description comes in that follows in verse 3 of chapter 6. He says, If a man fathers a hundred children, and he's describing all of these men again, all of these examples that we just see, this is true of all of them, and it's also true of every person that has ever lived. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many. Now those were great blessings in the Old Testament. If you fathered many children, if you had many children, you were seen to have been blessed by God because God gives children. If you have children, God has given them to you. They are a blessing and a gift from Him. So if He has hundreds of them, He has great blessing. 
And also many days. Long life was considered great blessing. So if you have many children in many days, then man, you have received great blessing. But what does he say next? But his soul is not satisfied with life, life's good things. So if he has all those things, and he's been commanded and given the opportunity to enjoy them day by day, but he doesn't, if he does not, if he's not satisfied, if his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he has no burial, which was also a, a sign of, of blessing, so if you were buried, if you had a good burial, that was a blessing. And if you didn't, it was seen as a curse. That you had done something wrong. That God had disfavor upon you. That's why in the Old Testament, whenever people would go to battle against each other, nation against nation, they would leave their dead there as a sign that they were cursed. You know, that's why you see the language that we're going to leave you for the birds of the sky and the creatures of the earth to eat your flesh. It was seen as a curse, as a great dishonor. So if this man doesn't in, enjoy what he has, life's good things, and he has no burial, the preacher says, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. And you know what a stillborn child is don't you? It's a child who is born dead. It's born dead. It has no life. Its life was taken from it before it ever exited the womb. And he's saying that that picture that you have in your mind is better than the man who has been given all of these things but yet does not enjoy them. It's better to be like this than to be given those things and not enjoy them. God gives gifts and He expects us to enjoy them. Because as we're about to see in a moment, God's gifts are good because they reflect Him. God's gifts are good, they're enjoyable, they're beautiful, because they reflect His character. And if you do not enjoy His gifts properly, then you are, in a way, Rejecting God Himself, His character, His beauty, all that He is. Continuing in this description, He says, For it comes in vanity, meaning it comes in death. It comes without life. And it goes in darkness. And in darkness its name is covered. The preacher is saying that this child is born without its identity being known. This child doesn't have the opportunity to see the things under the sun or have the chance to abuse God's good gifts. His identity or its identity is not known. It, it comes in vanity and it goes in darkness. And in darkness its name is covered. Again, this is poetic language that he is using. And then he says in verse 5, to conclude this description, in verses 5 and 6, Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything. 
Yet it finds rest rather than he, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place. So again, if this man was to live a thousand years twice over and to have all of those things and yet not enjoy them, it's better that he be like the stillborn child who did not abuse God's gifts. It's better to be like that. Now let's move down to verses 18 to 20. Verses 18 to 20. So that's the first part of the summary that we've seen that he gave. That all the toil for man is for his mouth, but yet his appetite is not satisfied. So everything that we just saw proves that point. He says all people of all cultures, they all are like this. They're all born with this unsatiable appetite, this unsatiable soul appetite, which is a result of the fall from the very beginning. From the first sin, we are all we all have this within our hearts. We we are all like these examples. Our hearts are put on display here. And now in verses eight, verses eighteen to twenty, we see the second part of the summary, where he says, "Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite." So in verses eighteen to twenty, we see example of the man who does enjoy God's good gifts. He sees what he's been given, and he enjoys them. The preacher says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Now we've been seeing that over and over again. This is the fourth time that we have seen the preacher use this type of language. That you are to enjoy what you have because God has given it to you and that is your lot. Whether it be little or much, God has given it to you. You are to enjoy what He has given to you. But what does the sight look like that he's talking about? What does the sight that we need to enjoy these things look like. Verse 19, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept His lot and rejoice in His toil. So again, we have this comparison going on with what He said in chapter 6, describing the man who had all these things. The same thing's going on here. This person has everything. And then after that, he says, This is the gift of God. This is the gift of God. So not only is God the giver of gifts, but He is also the one who enables us to enjoy them rightly. So if you want to enjoy God's good gifts today, like we were talking about, <clears throat> on a day-to-day basis, seeing what you have, having this sight that the preacher talks about, 
If you want that sight, if you want to be able to enjoy your gifts, then you have to seek the face of God. Because again, as I mentioned a moment ago, if you take God's gifts and separate them from Him, then what you have is a gift that is hollow. In in commenting on this passage, Philip Ryken says, satisfaction is sold separately. I love that quote that he had. It made me think of when a child goes into the grocery store or toy store and they get a toy but they forget to read the small print that says batteries are sold separately. And they get the toy, they bring it home and all this excitement, they tear it open, but yet they come to find out that the batteries aren't there. And they can't really enjoy the gift that they've gotten. They need the batteries. You know, what provides the source of the real enjoyment. I mean, yeah, you've got the gift, you can hold it in your hands, but you can only enjoy it in some small measure. And that's the same for us. We enjoy God's gifts every day. Sinful people, God-rejecting people, enjoy God's gifts. But they do not enjoy them rightly. They enjoy them in a small way that will one day turn bitter like the child getting the toy and coming to find out that he really doesn't have the source that he needs to enjoy it. So it's the same for us. If you want to enjoy God's gifts, if you want to enjoy them rightly, if you want to enjoy them properly, if you want to enjoy them daily as God has intended for you to enjoy them, then you must seek the face of God. He is the source of the joy. And then in verse 20, he he shows what this man is like, the man who does these things, the man who puts these things into practice. He says, For he, the man, will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Again, he's contrasting or comparing this to the man that we just saw a minute ago in chapter 6. That man's life is a sad story, his death and his life. But this man is defined by joy in a positive light. He says that he's not going to remember the days of his life, not meaning that he's going to forget what his life is like. God's not going to cause him to forget his former days. But he's going to so be consumed with the joy of today that that's what he's concerned about, which is what the preacher's been talking about, you know, throughout the whole book. Enjoy what you have today. Tomorrow, yesterday is gone. Tomorrow is not here. Be concerned with today. God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. That's the reason why. That's the description of the man who puts these things into practice. Now again and again, as we've seen, as we've come to the end of these observations that the preacher has brought up, in and of ourselves, we can't do this. Because in the very beginning, we separated ourselves from the source of joy in the sin of Adam and Eve. All of us did that in Adam, in his sin. You were not physically there. But yet, you are being represented in that moment. 
We need someone to bring us back to the source of joy. So please now turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And Ray actually referenced this passage whenever he read through verses 18 to 20. And I didn't talk to Ray about this. Ray, you hit the nail on the head. This is, this is, where, we, this is where I plan to bring us home at. Philippians chapter 4, Paul talking about where he, how he found the secret to contentment. The secret to joy. Philippians chapter 4 beginning in verse 10. Now here in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4, Paul is writing to the Philippian church, or the Philippian churches, his group of churches in Philippi. And he's talking about how at one point the Philippians had great concern for Paul and they wanted to provide for him in his time of need. But they had no opportunity to do so. But Paul says, he encourages them, you know, don't worry about that. I'm, I'm very thankful for your desire to serve me, to help me. But even if you haven't, I have found the secret to be content. And this is what he says. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Talking about the Philippian Christians. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And we very often like to take that verse out of context and use it for cheap things like in athletics or similar things. You know, if you're, if you're standing before something that you can't do, you just put that verse there. I could do all things through Him who strengthens me. Or as some people say, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that's true, but look, what, look at the context of what Paul puts this in. He's saying, in the day that I have very little, that God has given me little, I can accept that and be content because of Him who strengthens me. In the day that I have abundance, in the day that God has given me abundance, the gift of abundance, I can enjoy those things because of Him who strengthens me. And so it goes. Plenty, needy, if you have much, if you have little, whatever it looks like, whatever God gives you today or whatever day, through God and what He has done for you in Christ, in the Gospel, you are able to enjoy what you've been given. Whether it be little or much. So in the gifts that we've been given, we seek the face of Christ. We look to the Gospel. We see all that He's accomplished there on our behalf. And we see that He's the real treasure. 
So it doesn't matter where you've been given little or whether you've been given much. Behind everything is Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Because earlier in Philippians, he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. We've been looking at that passage over the course of Ecclesiastes. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And when we understand that, when we accept that way of life, whether we've been given little, whether we've given much, we can be content and we can enjoy every day as God intends for us to enjoy Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. I know that the, the past few moments have been complex, they've been complicated, as Ecclesiastes is complicated. There is much language used here that's is very unfamiliar to us. We have to do so much more work to understand. We have so much research to do to understand what this man is trying to get across. But we thank you that you have revealed to this, revealed us, to us, the truth through your Spirit, in your Word. And I ask now that you would help me, that you would help your people as we go throughout this week, as we go throughout each day, that you would help us to be content with what we've been given, whether it's little or whether it's much. Help us to understand that when we have Christ, when we live in light of what He has done for us, we look to things that are above. We look to Him, the true treasure that makes everything else just fade in comparison. And if there is someone who does not know Christ in that way, who are like these men that we looked at, who are craving for physical possession, the things of the world. May you convict them, and may you draw them to yourself, the source of all joy, the source of all gifts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.